God, we thank you for an opportunity to gather and look at your word, and I pray that by studying it, you would accomplish a work in us to love you more and be humble before you and be transformed by the power of your spirit. Um, We thank you that you've seen fit to reveal these things to us. We thank you for this body that we belong to, the church, and I pray that we would be edified through the teaching of your word this morning. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to finish this section here on uh, Jesus healing this woman and Jairus' daughter. So we're in Mark chapter 5, picking up in verse 21. I can move that. Can you move that? Anybody want to read it for us nice and loud? Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. What's that? 21. Oh, through this section, uh, the end of verse 43. Or you want me to read it? And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thrown about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she fell in her body that she was healed of, the, of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in himself that, that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they say, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but is sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talita kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. All right, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, this wasn't really in my notes, but verse 31, you know, Jesus gets touched and the disciples say, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? Has anybody ever noticed how little kids are so much more perceptive than adults? We learn to like block out everything that's non-essential information. I remember it was probably Aiden, like two and a half, maybe probably three years old playing in the, in the backyard and like every airplane, every sound, he was like airplane. And I'm like. My mind has totally learned to block all that stuff out. It's amazing that in a crowd of people, Jesus was 
still perceptive enough to notice that somebody had even touched him with this act of faith. All right, so just to kind of quickly overlap from last week, we talked about this is a, a bold and risky move by Jairus. He's the synagogue ruler uh, by reaching out to Jesus, associating himself with Jesus in this way. He's potentially kind of taking some risks with his with, with the, the Pharisees that would be kind of overseeing and directing what's taking place in synagogues. But he had enough love for his daughter and enough faith in Jesus that he thought, this is a man who can do something about my problem. And we mentioned that Jesus does not turn away people who are driven to him by desperation, which is wonderful for us. Uh, so the boldness of Jairus is presented to us alongside of the boldness of this woman who has this discharge of blood. And she also takes a great risk. Anybody know why she's risking being around this crowd and around Jesus? Yeah, she's unclean, right? You want to explain that to us a little bit more? When the woman was, if you were on blood, especially when you were discharged the period, so like, uh, there was a certain amount of time, I'm not sure what it was, I think 14 days, they had to go outside the city and, yeah. and you know, anybody that would touch them would be defiled and also had to do ritual washing. Yes. Yes, exactly. So if you're unclean for some way, ritually unclean, and actually this is going to come up briefly in my sermon today, but anybody that you touch, you spread that uncleanness to, right? So if she was to be discovered walking through this crowd, touching people, she's potentially spreading her, her unholiness, and uh, she is taking a big risk in that regard. Um, Twelve years is a terribly long time to suffer any kind of illness. Um, particularly one that there doesn't seem to be any sort of resolution for. I mean, I think I can sort of understand this dealing with my wife's epilepsy. It's been going on for a long time. <laughs> Essentially, when we go to the doctor, the doctor's like, we don't really know. We don't, you know, as, for as much as science pretends to know everything, the doctor's like, the human brain is incredibly complex. We can try these tests, but they don't, they don't bring any results. And so it's kind of like, try this medicine and we'll hope and see. Um, and this woman has this added issue with her illness that it makes her a social outcast, right? I mean, she can't even go into somebody else's home because then the home becomes unclean. She can't have people into her home because then they would become unclean, right? So she's not only dealing with the illness itself, but the total social ostracization that comes with that. So how long do you think you would be willing to suffer something like that before you'd be like, I just give up? I mean, somehow this woman thinks that in Jesus, she's got one last kind of crack at maybe having her situation dealt with. Um, and we find out that her efforts have also driven her essentially to poverty. She spent all this money. She's got nothing left. And so here's another person driven by desperation, right? I mean, I think if I was 12 years into this gig, I would sort of throw up my hands and be like, there's nothing left for me. So it's not super clear what the discharge of blood is. Literally, the Greek word just means flow of blood. But, you know, sorry to all of the teenagers in here, but this is the same Greek word that's used in the Septuagint in Levitical laws concerning menstruation. So this is probably related to bleeding that's associated with her period. Um... And notice that she doesn't even actually touch Jesus. Verse 28. Well, I guess we don't know for sure, but in her mind she thinks, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. I guess the text doesn't tell us whether she only touches his cloak or she actually touches him, but I think it's fair to assume that it's just his cloak. Um... And this is the kind of power that the kingdom of God contains. This is the kind of power where Jesus is in authority. That not necessarily the power just to like bring healing, although in the ministry of Jesus that was obviously the case, but that kind of power spilling into the lives of people to bring transformation, to bring healing, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally, um, 
And it's just an incredible statement about the restorative power of Jesus himself. And, and it wasn't the touching of the cloak that did it anyway. It was her faith in that act that made her well. Yeah, so you're getting ahead of me, but I love it. Let's talk about it, right? Because how many people are touching Jesus? The disciples are like, Jesus, you're crazy, dude. Like, all these people are touching you. You want us to find which one? Well, who are you talking about, right? That is exactly right. Um, but that that presents maybe a little bit of, of a problem, which... We're going to see, uh, we'll talk about in a little bit, because it comes up in, in chapter 6 as well, when Jesus goes back to his hometown. Um, and I, I want to, I, I actually brought this up in a message not too long ago, but I want you to actually turn with me to Haggai chapter 2 real quick. Everybody's like, Haggai, where's that one again? It's a minor prophet, so it's towards the end of the Old Testament, after Zephaniah, before... Okay. So in Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 13... This is kind of like a teaching on the nature of unclean things and holy things, okay? And I want you to just observe as I read this. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold <coughs> bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priests answered and said no, right? So you, you go into the temple, you find a piece of sanctified holy meat, you slip it in your cloak, you sneak it home, you want to bless the family meal by putting it on the table with the bread and the other food. This is now a holy meal before the Lord. Does it work that way? Does the holiness of the meat spill over to everything else that it touches on the table? No. But watch what happens. Verse 13. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these things, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Right? So if an unclean thing touches a clean thing, what happens? It becomes unclean. Right? So the unclean spreads, but the holiness does not spread. Right? So, but look at what happens with Jesus. Does he become unclean by this woman touching him? No. No, but what happens to the woman? She becomes made clean, right? So this is a really beautiful picture of just what the kingdom of God is coming to do in making unclean people clean by virtue of their association to Jesus. Anybody have any thoughts, comments, questions on that? Other than, you know, in... Yeah, yeah, absolutely the same. I mean, yeah, you could apply this kind of thing, you know, lots of different ways. Um, you know, if my fork falls on the floor where the dog hangs out and I pick it up and put it on the clean plate, the fork does not become clean. Now the plate becomes questionable, right? Absolutely. So we understand how this works, but even more so in this context where, you know, you're talking about ritually unholy before the Lord. And it's just a beautiful picture that when Jesus touches people, they are made clean. And our uncleanliness does not tarnish his holiness. All right, so the power of Jesus is so great that immediately she is healed and she felt it in her body. I have a question about that. Ron said it's it's the faith that made her well, but certainly, and we see that with the centurion guy or the synagogue leader, he uh, didn't touch anything in his faith. But sort of, she had the faith that seemed like before she touched it, it wasn't healed. So it was like coupled with 
Or did she have the faith in that she would touch him and that's, that was what her faith was in? <laughs> well, this is actually uh, in my notes a little bit further too. Um, but we can, we can go there first and then kind of come back to uh, a couple other things. But yeah, well, why, why didn't other people around her receive the same benefit? Right? There were probably some who, who maybe believed in Jesus, didn't touch him. There were definitely some touching him, right? But they didn't get healed. So that, that's an interesting question. I think that, um, well, you want to take a crack at it first? Well, I don't know. I'm thinking about the Catholic relics and, and you know, how they, they want to have faith in it. Um, and I'm thinking about Paul's handkerchief that says later it went around and people were healed by touching it. Yeah. And um, certainly I agree that the faith is what saved her, but in this case it was coupled with something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so I think there's probably like three things here. One, the New Testament gives us a pretty unique dispensation of God's grace to show the authority of Jesus in his kingdom coming and the authority of his apostles in being the foundation upon which that kingdom would be established. So there's that. I think the second one is there is a sense in which God's power works in cooperation with our faith. Um, and there is a third one, which now I can't remember what I was going to say. Um, if, if somebody says, I have faith, that chair is going to hold me. I believe them to an extent when they go and sit down on that chair. I really believe that they had that faith. I mean, there is a part of, yeah. of trust and faith that comes along with that, you know? Well, that actually reminds me of the third thing I was going to say, which is the object in which you are placing your faith is also essential, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. You can't be like, I have faith in the universe and therefore I will be healed. I will be better. No, no. It's the object of Jesus Christ himself. So. I don't know that there's like a formula here, but I think at least all those three things are at work in this particular story. She was kind of intentional too in seeking him out too. She you know, wasn't just a casual woman. Of, Try this. Yeah. Know, rub bump up against him, or you know, or maybe this will work. She she actively sought him out. Yeah. And Absolutely. There's uh, something to you know faith plus works kind of things because this guy could come and, and speak. She had. If she spoke, she would have been cast out, possibly stoned for being unclean and, and defiling everyone. So she had to do it secretively. Yeah. She's still showing her faith by action kind of thing. Yeah, and I actually think that um, I don't I actually don't think that it's complete. So here, let me hear me out on this. So verse 29, immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. But I'm not sure that her testing of faith ends in that moment, and here's why. Jesus asks, who touched me? What if the woman had gone booking it back home and been like, I don't want to be exposed, right? We, we don't know, but it's quite possible the thing could have come back and continue to be a problem for her, right? So I think there's an additional test to her faith. Will she acknowledge herself before Jesus in the crowd that she is the one who touched him? So there's risk. It's like with Jairus, with the, with the centurion. These are all people who are risking public scrutiny because of their identification with Christ. Yeah, and also even just like, do you trust this man that now is asking you to reveal yourself in this crowd that he can protect you, that he's good, that his intentions towards you are good intentions, not bad intentions, that you know, when you're exposed, there won't be greater harm that comes to you as a result of that. So I think she gets kind of this additional test. And actually, Jairus is going to get that too, isn't he? Because he's going to be told in a second, nah, don't worry about it, your daughter's dead. Too late, man. Right? Jairus could have at that point been like, well, Jesus, we tried. But that's not what happens, right? He walks with him the rest of the way home. So there's kind of like, and maybe that's a good illustration for us, right? Because the truth is, trusting in Jesus is not one thing that you do at one time when you kind of pray this prayer. Trusting in Jesus is an ongoing thing, right? You, you, you come to Christ in faith and you say, okay, I trust you to be my atoning sacrifice for sin. But then Jesus says, okay, what about your career? What about your money? What about your relationships? What about your time? Do you trust me with those as well? And th those are tests that we go through continually. She could have also gone up to him and touched him and said, maybe if I touch his garment, I'll get healed. Oh, look, I'm healed. What a coincidence, you know. Yeah, that's Which also is what we, I think we do that if we go to the doctor. I pray that the doctor will help me be better. I get better, and I thank the doctor. 
Sure. Give, give thanks to God. Yeah, absolutely. That is true. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to open this can of worms. Anybody ever experienced healing, miraculous healing? Yeah? Do you, do you, would you want to tell us about it? Did you feel it in your body? Oh, no. I mean, it's, uh, when I was a little. I heard the story from my grandma. Okay. Okay. So it's not something you remember specifically? No, no. It's the testimony of my grandma in front of church about me and miraculous healing. So, but I don't experience it. Okay. So, sorry. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> Everything's always been secondhand. No one, you know, I heard somebody who knew somebody whose leg got healed or, you know, something like that. It's always been, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at a church we went to a long time ago, um, Pastor Manny's wife, Irene, she had a really big tumor growing in her brain. And the night before the operation, he says, I want you to image it one more time. And, like, this is a waste of time. He's been imaged several times. The insurance company's gone okay with the uh, surgery and everything. He says, I don't care. I'll pay for the cash. All right, we'll do it then. The tumor's gone. Crazy. Yeah. It's amazing. My wife, when she became a Christian in college, uh, which was like kind of a weird thing, she just like, I think she was like blow drying her hair and thinking about Jesus and was like, I think Jesus is Lord. Like it just happened like that for her. And a couple months later, she was reading her Bible and she reading the story about the epileptic boy where Jesus heals him. And she got this sense that she should just stop taking her meds, which I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. And she didn't have any seizures again. Like when, when I met her, there was no conversation about epilepsy. It was not until like, I think it was 10 or 12 years later when she was pregnant with our second uh, kid, Karis, that she, for some reason, the epilepsy came back. Um, but like, I don't know how to explain that other than God doing a work for that period of time to remove that sickness from her. I've got my own story, which I think is like, I, I, I probably wouldn't believe it if it hadn't happened to me, but I was in my systematic theology class with Wayne Grudem at Phoenix Seminary, and we're going through his book, Systematic Theology, and we get to the chapter on healing and miracles, and Grudem is giving a theological lecture about what the Bible says about this, and one of the students in class raises their hand and says, Dr. Grudem, on, on a video that I've seen of another class you taught, you actually like demonstrated this to the class, like what this process of praying for people looks like. Would you be willing to do that tonight? And Dr. Grudem was like, sure. He's like, is there anybody in class who needs prayer for something? And uh, I really didn't want to raise my hand, but I did. I raised my hand. I was like, I have this, this is so silly, but I have this lower back pain. It's really hard to sleep. I can't sleep well. I don't get rest. The thing that really breaks my heart is my little boys would love for me to wrestle with them on the floor, and it's just too painful. I can't do it. And Dr. Gruden was like, okay, come, come on up here. We'll spend some time praying for you. And he put his hand on my back and just prayed this very quiet, humble prayer that God would restore, restore my back. And like, I know it sounds so cliche because you've all heard the, 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 the like, stories from the shysters and the charlatans who make this stuff up. But I, where he was putting his hand on my back, I, I, I don't know how to explain it. I felt a strange, warm, kind of tingling sensation. He stops praying and he says, Grady, do you like feel anything? I'm like, I'm like embarrassed to even admit it, but I feel this weird feeling where your hand is on my back. And, uh, and he was like, well, let's keep praying. And so he prayed some more. And this is in front of a class of like 40 people. It was so awkward and weird. And I think the thing that was strangest to me, I experienced healing. Um, I could go home. I could wrestle with my boys. I slept well. My back didn't hurt anymore. But I think the thing that's really weird about it for me is it wasn't a perfect restoration. I still have some lower back pain. Not like I did prior to his prayer, right? So I was, this was a theologically difficult experience for me to go through because I categorically like didn't believe that these kinds of things happen. And, uh, and on one hand, like I experienced it. And then the other piece was, it was like only partial, right? It was like 80%. 
Um, so I don't even know what to do with any of that. And my guess is you're as skeptical as I would be if the roles were switched and you were up here telling the story and I was listening. But I can feel it in my body, which is uh, a strange thing. stories like that I think the thing that I would caution us against is pr probably maybe two errors the one is totally disbelieving that God can or does work in this way in the world he can and I think he sometimes does the other side would be that like there's a gift of healing where I can come into a room of six pe sick people and just lay my hands on them and they get better right if that were the case then you should probably make your way through the hospital wards and just like pew, 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 shoot people till they feel better, right? Like whatever that is. So I, I, I tend to be uh, open but cautious, skeptical, but not uh, wholesale reject this possibility. And the fact that you are not healed doesn't mean that God doesn't care or doesn't love you. Yes. Yes, that's also an important thing is like, if God doesn't heal, why? It's because he thinks it's better for you to go through the suffering and the trial, right? Yeah. And, and there's a lot of God, like, we cannot really understand. Like, my, my story as a little, in, a, in our little town, our little town, we're the only born-again Christian. We start with my grandma, and all the neighbors are Catholic. But every time there is people, I mean, we're far away from, you know, there's no doctor or something like that. So every time there's a little, I mean, sickness, everybody come to my grandma. Mm. And my grandma will just pray for them. Like like what you said, like a prayer that's really um, whisper in, in their head. And almost of every our neighbor that got sick will go to grandma for prayer. And they are Catholic. That's, wow. So, but that thing is like boggling. I mean, mind boggling. Sure. You, there's no explanation about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. totally. Justin Peters. Justin Peters has. I if you heard his story, you know. I don't know if you have. I, I have but, not. I know who he is, but I've not heard his story. But but you know he was one of the ones that went up to the Benny Hinn thing, you know, and, and that went up where? Sorry, to the Benny Hinn, you know, early oh, okay. on, right? And and you know he's is a paraplegic. He's he's uh, from. I, I definitely from the waist down. Is it really? I didn't yeah. know that. So, but he, he's, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, you look at that and you say, well, you know, he wouldn't be who he is today, you know, you know, and and and, and helping people and, and doing these Bible expositions and, and you know, just he's a great, you know, expositioner of scripture. But uh, my point is, is that that he, I don't believe that he didn't have the faith of somebody who's crippled up, you know, <laughs> praying with all their all their might to sure. heal. I don't think it's a matter of faith. That, that they don't believe that, that these things can happen, you know, and so I I question. You know, they they went to they went up in front. They did all the things they could to be healed, and you know, given that I wonder about that. Yeah, well, we're gonna talk about that. We maybe we won't get there today because this comes up. I mean, look at uh, Mark chapter six verse. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna have to wrestle with this. And, I, and I, I think I have some thoughts that will be helpful. But uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 6. No, no, sorry. Um, verse 5. It says, And Jesus could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. The language there is very strange, right? He could do no works, no, no mighty works there. So we're going to have to wrestle through that. Well, I'll leave you um, in suspense for a little bit longer. <laughs> but, you know, as time goes on, though, Paul wants to be healed. And certainly he had the faith. And he prayed three times and then he moved on. Yeah. I think that's a model, like, kind of for Christians. Yeah. To, to sincerely pray three times. Jesus prayed three times in the garden for the cup of sure. blessing. Nevertheless, Paul, I think, followed that model, prayed three times. Jesus answered and said, 
this will happen to you basically and um, I think we move on. I, I mean but is that the areas you know Jesus heals everyone by his stripes we are healed and yeah. stuff and that's not what he said. That, that is true in the resurrection right yeah. and that's not necessarily true in this life I might push back on the like I think the three times thing is a good model but yeah. you also have the parable of the persistent widow so that kind of like messes with it's things a little fun. bit he, he had a timeline he had a date certain I mean he knew what was coming and at some point prayer was I mean not that it was useless but there was a deadline deadline for him Jesus. for Jesus for Jesus yeah. <coughs> sure whereas Paul he prayed three times but I don't see anything that would have stopped him from Throughout his life to pray. Well, I, I think the, the thing there is it seems pretty clearly that in response to his prayers, God communicated to him quite clearly, no, this is a burden I'm I, I have intentionally given to you. I would refute the the widow thing though, as she's praying for justice, then she is for healing. Sure. That's fair. Well, that's I, and I would other, agree with that. The other parable where they're banging on the door to get like food. Yeah, the neighbor who's looking for some bread for his friend who comes. But I, but I'm pretty sure you you could check me on this if you want. I'm pretty sure though that at the beginning of the parable of the persistent widow, it says, and Jesus taught them a parable that they should pray in this way, right? Now again, it's towards it's about justice, but I don't think that it's it's only that. But here here's kind of where I will uh, go with this. Um, is uh, where did I put this down? I'm way ahead of myself here. Um, shoot. I, I think that the idea here is that, um, God is definitely, how should, how should I say this? For the Christian, God is definitely not going to work when we come to him with persistent unbelief, right? Like, if we come to him and say, I don't think you can do this, but I'll ask you anyway, what should we expect from that? We should expect him to be like, all right, I'll give you what your unbelief is asking me for, right? Whereas if we come to him and we say, I trust you, this is what I want, but whatever the outcome is, I know that you are good, then I think we leave open the possibility that God may work in that way. He's not obligated to do that, and he is committed to our good, and he knows that our good may be through the trial, so he may not remove the difficulty. But if, I think if we come with the unbelief you know, as kind of the, the starting point, we shouldn't expect much. I think James is kind of getting at that in James chapter 1. But we'll, we'll get there, okay? I promise. Maybe next week. Um, okay, so, yeah, so this woman obviously has faith. She's commended for that faith. Um, okay, I, I'll go a little further here. I think there's a sense in which we can say that God allows his power in us to be activated in response to our faith. Okay, so, so the little lady who gives her her whole, you know, everything she owns because the televangelist says, you know, you so that you believe, you really believe, and she gives half her fortune. I mean, she, you know, she's tricked into believing that. So. But she's not believing in truth, right? Right. She's believing in something different. So let me say it another way, um, man. And and Matt, we're going to look at this in Mark chapter six, but Matthew thirteen fifty eight records it as well. It says that he did no miracles there because of their unbelief. Um, you have Second Corinthians chapter two verse, or I think it's actually chapter twelve. I wrote down two, but I think it's twelve, where God says to Paul, "My power." is made perfect in your weakness, right? Like, so again, this does not mean that God's power is at our disposal. I, I wholeheartedly condemn guys like Benny Hinn who, you know, claim to have this miraculous gift of healing. Um, but I think it means that our unbelief will get what it expects. If we expect that God will not respond, then I think God will not respond. 
Whereas our belief allows us to trust whatever, trust God in whatever happens. Does that make sense? Well, and I would is confidence and belief the same thing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think that I think that that's a word actually that we as Christians should start using more than faith is confidence. Because I think everybody's like, yeah, I have faith in Jesus. But no, you don't have confidence in him if you're not walking according to what he teaches. How would, how would you answer someone that wants to pray, like, you know, Lord, I, I pray and I believe you can do this. Nevertheless, your will be done. That's kind of like a, a, a safety net for, like, if you don't answer prayer, I don't have to lose yeah. faith. Or yes, it is. I... I <coughs> I don't. I kind of don't like that prayer because I sort of feel like it is us kind of like bowing out um, rather than having faith. But that is the that is the condition of the heart that you want people to have, right? Lord, this is the thing I want, but I know that you're a good father, and if you do something different, then I trust you. So, so the, right. well, I know that he can save us, but even if he doesn't, yes, right? It's, it's that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just right. saying, no, I'm saying when you pray that way. I think you really got to check your heart that you're not just using sure. it as a safety net, but that you really believe both things. Like, you want what God's will is not. Right. You either really want to heal or you really want God's will. And God's will may be for you to not be healed. Yeah. And so I think if you don't embrace that, that's a problem. Yeah. I think you can want both. I think you can say, God, this is what I want, but I know that what you want for me is better. So either lead me to this or lead me to the thing that's greater, right? Which is ultimately you. I think we can have kind of divided wills like that. But we want to get to the place where we go, Lord, your will be done in my life as it's done in the kingdom, right? Um, and, uh, shoot, there was something else I was going to say about that. Um, oh, we, we should just acknowledge that they're, they're miracles for a reason. Like God's usual method of doing things in the world is slow. It's normal. It's grueling. It's, it's not the easy way out. It's through the suffering. It's through the difficulty. So we should not at all be surprised if we come to God and we say, God, I would like this miraculous healing to occur. And he's like, no, because that's typical, right? That's his typical response. Um, and anybody who's placing their faith in God to do some kind of miracle, and then when he doesn't, ends up disappointed at him, has totally gone about it wrong. Okay. Any other thoughts on that? Well, I was just thinking that in some ways it's almost um, like we don't really even need to come with him to ask. He knows what we need. I guess he just wants, does he just want us want to hear us say it? Or, or, or should we just forego the asking, please give me, and just give him praise and thanks for what you already have and assume he already knows what you need? Is it, is it more it maybe cathartic for us to just say, please, God, help me do this thing? Well, that's a good question. Philippians 4 does say, let your requests be made known to God. So God invites us. And I think part of that is like the relationship aspect of this. He's, he's, a, he's an actual person. You know, he's divine, he's spirit, but he's an actual person. And so we can come to him on those relational terms. But I do think it... The ultimate place that we want to be is like, I, I want nothing other than God's will for my life. And if that means that I have to be a paraplegic or go through a story like Job or crucify the flesh and take up the cross, then, man, that's what I want. And we know that God's going to work it for good because this was word says, right? Romans 8, 28. It's not cliche. It's God's word. It's powerful. It's true. Um... Shoot, there was again something else I was going to say on all of this. That's not in my notes so that I forget. Um, oh, just a couple other interesting points. You know that there's no recorded prayers in the New Testament? Like outside of the Gospels, there are no recorded prayers for healing in the New Testament. So I think that a lot of times like we tend to like hyper-focus on that. You know, so-and-so was diagnosed for cancer. Let's all pray that the cancer goes away. But what we should be praying for is like in the midst of the cancer, God strengthen this person's faith. Let their confidence in you be a testimony to other people. Grow their love for you through the trial, right? Now, I don't think it's an either or. I think we can do both and, but I think we tend to be super heavy on the let's pray for healing side. 
versus the prayers we get in the New Testament are like Ephesians 3, right? That the eyes of your heart might be open, that you would understand how the incomprehensible love that God has for you. That's a powerful prayer, right? And interestingly, too, when Paul is writing Timothy, he says to him, uh, I know about your stomach. He, do, he doesn't say to him, I know about your stomach problems, so I'll pray for you. He says, I know about your stomach problems. Drink a little bit more wine, not only water, right? So he prescribes him a very natural solution to his sickness. Any other thoughts on that, comments? No, but I mean, for one that thinks that way, which, which I typically do, and um, I don't want to sound callous. But thinks which way, sorry. Like, this is what God has for you. God can't heal you, but like, if that's your main focus, is to heal with one, to die is gain, you know. Yeah. To die is gain. Really, yeah. really, that's what we believe now. I understand the, the emotions that go behind it, but the, nothing has happened to you apart from God's will, and He says He will provide for you as long as He wants you around, but you're not going to live forever. And right. he's mm-hmm. going to provide for you until he doesn't want you around anymore. Mm-hmm. And at some point, he's indicating he wants to take you home. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how to to walk in those without sounding callous and, and maybe you know, I'll be, I'm sure I'll be tested one day. And then hopefully I I live up what I say. But like I'm kind of mentally prepared. Like if I get can't diagnosed with cancer tomorrow, that is not devastating to me. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I have emotions in the family to sure and all that, but. Well, I, I want to encourage you that I don't think it is callous. I think this is like where we need the body, right? Because there's some people who are going to be like, man, let me just come to your house and like weep with you and, and sit in the sorrow with you. And there's other people who are going to be like, you know, my heart goes out to you, but let me tell you what God's word says. Let me exhort you and encourage you with the truth of God's word, right? So we need all of those people. Um, and so I think that there's a place in the body of Christ to be the person who's like... I will pray for you, but let me tell you what God's word says, right? Or those kinds of of things. Um, Because that's powerful, and people need to be reminded of that. They, probably in our our culture, they need that more than they need, let me just hug you and cry with you, right? You know, what if you live to be 90 and you're gonna die? Is that devastating? Like, yeah, (laughs) you live to be 30, in the grand scheme of things, this is a blip if you have eternal life. you know, nobody goes, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're going to die. It's, you're 90. Yeah, and that's another aspect of this. Like, we should be giving Christians confidence that death is irrelevant. And it's inevitable. 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 Yep, both of those things. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. This is totally, well, I mean, it's along the lines of death, but I had a thought. Like, will you even know when you die? Probably not. How do you know that you will know that you've died? We don't even know that. Right? We have this fear of this thing, but we know so little about it. I mean, probably the fear is like, because we expect it'll come with, you know, painful cancer or a horrible car crash or something terrible like that. But I don't even know that you'll know that you've died. There's going to be one generation that doesn't die. True. And, and so it's a lot for all the rest of us. Yes. Right? <laughs> and, it's and the most uncontrollable thing we can face, though. Probably yeah, sure. There. But that should give us even more confidence in God, right? Like, you have no control over it, and so why worry about it? Yeah, but to live to 90, I mean, that's true. That would be terrible. That would be absolutely terrible. Um, I mean, I, I can say, like, I, I have some fear about the pain that might come in association with death, right? But I'm definitely not afraid to die. Like I'd look forward to it. Not in, not in like a I'm ready to escape this world. Yeah. But I'm I'm eager for that next step. I always said I want to die in my sleep, just like my father. Sure. I sure. always say I want to die in my sleep. No, what? Tell me. I want to die in my sleep, just like my grandfather. Not kicking and screaming like everybody in his car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, my father just didn't wake up in the morning. And I, oh, I said, I want to die like that. Yeah. He just, yeah. he just slipped. Then, I mean, no, I, oh, he was like, he just got his, you know, stream and all of the thing. He become like very handsome and died in his sleep. Wow. And I said, no, I want to be like that. <laughs> I want to go like that. Well, well even we there, that's yesterday that few people actually get a deathbed. Um, I mean, like, you know, with the plane crash in, in California, some guy's yeah. just out watching, walking his dog, and, you know, next thing you know, a plane's crashing into him, and he's dead. I yeah. mean, yeah. most of us don't get a death. Sure. That doesn't mean most of us die tragically, sure. but 
Dude, yeah. The thing is, people, God can take our breath now, or now, or now. Like, I mean, anyone can just drop dead. Yeah. Because yeah. of some thing that we're packaging in our body right now. There was this, uh, Wheaton College has this haunting recording of one of their presidents. I think it was like in 1960, the president of the college. And he's, he's up on stage during chapel preaching. And he's preaching, look, your life is fleeting. You're, you could go any moment and you could hear the audio. Like drops down dead like in the middle of saying that That's exact thing cool. right? <laughs> that, that, that must have left a lasting impression on everybody in the room talking about god making a demonstration right oh, wow the ultimate sermon <laughs> illustration yeah. uh, all right so yeah, and I, I think that because we don't know the time of our death, we should be reflective on this, right? Like, am I ready to meet the Lord? But everybody's always not done. I, I know. I can't I know. believe that. Right. I can't believe it's yeah. always such a shock. We talk about yeah. this. It's always such a shock when somebody dies. You're like, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, but. Everybody has always died. Yes. Okay, so Jesus knows who touch him, not touches him in relation to this woman. And so then I think he asks this question, which I think is like, again, another level of testing for this woman who touched my garments it also is a display of his awareness to the disciples that are around him but he asks the question who touched me and the woman i think kind of passes the test here she believes not only that in christ is the power to heal her but also is the power to safeguard her and to uh be good to her the kindness that he's going to show to deal with her mercifully and Jesus then says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And I think not merely the faith that led you to reach out and touch my garment, but also the faith that made you acknowledge me before men. Right? Okay, I think verse 34, though, where Jesus says that, is a verse that could be misunderstood. And we've kind of been talking around this. Jesus doesn't say, daughter, I have made you well. He says, your faith has made you well. Now, it is true that Jesus made her well. Um, her faith was directed towards the right object. At one point, her faith had been in doctors. Did that work? No. No, right? Uh, and so I, I do want you to understand that faith itself is meaningless. Just a vague sense of faith is meaningless. Faith in what is actually powerful, that's faith that accomplishes something. So it's not the measure of our faith that matters. And this is where a lot of times these, these prosperity healers go, right? If you don't get the healing, it's not because Jesus isn't powerful. It's because you don't have sufficient faith. But Jesus explains that faith the size of a mustard seed, which is basically nothing, is sufficient. Because it's, in, it's directed towards the one who is all-powerful. So if this woman had believed that an idol, if she had believed with the same faith she, th she shows here that this idol in a temple could heal her, what would she have got? Nothing, right? Because the idol is powerless. And you hear this in our culture quite a bit. People will say things like, well, I don't go to church, but I'm a spiritual person, <laughs> right? I don't go to church, but I'm a, I'm a man of faith. I'm a person of, of great faith. And that is just meaningless drivel. It means nothing. Faith in what? And all these bumper stickers that just say believe. Yeah. So what? Right. Um, yeah. What do you think about a placebo effect? Say it again. What do I think about a placebo, like as far as medicine goes? Yeah. Like in healing that people often, they believe something's going to. Yeah. And it will, even if it's a sugar pill, you know, and they think it's a. Yeah, so this, this it's interesting you bring that up because uh, I was I've been on antidepressants two times in my life, and there's this huge kind of bombshell study that just came out like two weeks ago that um, that actually those drugs do nothing for people, um, and and that uh, as far as if depression you, goes, it does doesn't it does nothing. It does nothing chemically. Not not even chemically. What they're saying what they're saying is that the old claim that depression is the result of a chemical imbalance in the brain is untrue. You can't measure it. 
how, how do you even measure Yeah, and that's one of the things that skeptics have been pointing out for years is like you go see a therapist and he says, we're going to put you on these medicines, but he doesn't do a brain scan to see how the chemical is imbalanced. He just assumes the underlying preposition and then or presupposition and then prescribes the drug to you. But one of the studies shows that like giving people a placebo and saying it is the drug is actually even more effective than the drug itself, right? So how would I explain that? I would explain that with the reality that humans are a psychosomatic unity, which I don't know if we talked about that before, but psyche is the Greek word for soul, suke, and soma is the Greek word for body. So we are both of those things combined. And the world that we live in with modern medicine and materialism basically eliminates half of the equation, right? So we don't really treat people's souls, we just prescribe drugs for their body. So if you are, what I'm getting at is, if you, to some degree, the mind influences the body and the body can influence the mind, right? Diet can have an effect on how you think about the world. Sleep can have an effect on that. And what you set your mind on changes potentially even some, some aspects of the physical experience. Right? So that's how I would kind of explain that. I don't know if it's a sufficient explanation, but. Could it make your back feel better? Yeah, that's possible. It's possible. I can't see any reason why my mind would have like made me feel that way ahead of time. Um, Cause it wasn't something I wanted. Like it, it relates to an injury, a particular moment where I did something that created pain from that point on. Um, I see a lot of the healing things where people with legs or their back, you know, one, one thing or another, and they, for that moment, they're walking, they're dancing, yeah. and you never hear the backstory of the after Sure. So it's always like... They're attractive. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, Those stories do really get buried. The next day or yeah. next week, you yeah. know. But words have, have power to, I mean, some kind of separate, but we have the power to build up or tear down, and we know this with a dad that tears down his child or something, he starts to feel so yeah. white, husband and wife. Which can manifest um, physically. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Or Dwight Byers has an interesting story that his dad had asthma growing up, and then his dad had a stroke and, like, was basically, yeah, I, I don't know all the details, but his dad had a stroke and his asthma went away. Like, how do you explain that other than his asthma was some part of his mind, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bizarre. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's reading books about this. Oh, yeah. Have you heard about that rice study? Mm-hmm. Well, this is really weird, but you can look it up and people try it at home where you, the person would take like three beakers and put rice and water in it and he would put them in different places in the house and then every day he would visit one and speak kindly to it. It was just rice. And then he would visit one and like curse at it and stuff and then one he would just leave alone. But the one he spoke kindly to never like deteriorated over the 30 days. And the one that he was speaking able to developed these nasty like mold scores all over it. And then the one, you know, that he left alone just like brought it normally. And it sounds super bizarre, but people have tried it. I was talking about taking mushrooms to heal. (laughs) (laughs) I look into all kinds of Well, that story, look it up if you don't believe me. It's like, well, then do it. The reality. The, the reality is, up until the Enlightenment, most people in human history would have been like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Not many but, people are enlightened now, anyway. Well, but as a result of the Enlightenment, we have this strictly materialistic approach to the world. And so it's like, that doesn't make any sense. Right? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we got, we got a couple more minutes. Okay. So the faith of the woman is contrasted with the doubt expressed in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Who, what is this man? Lord. Now the fact that they even acknowledge that he's a teacher is good, but he's merely a teacher, right? I, I think that that's actually a statement of doubt. This guy maybe, you know, could have done something for your daughter, but now she's dead. So don't don't bother the teacher anymore. That's their doubt for sure. Absolutely, right? And, and even his power might be great, but his power does not extend into the realm of death. Nobody's power goes that far. What word do you think they could have used to not show what you think is out there? Because I think he was referred to as a teacher. A yeah, lot. he was. I, I think you could have used a word like master. 
or or even just this man why bother this man anymore right my, my point is this who the person coming to deliver this news does not believe that the power of Jesus extends into the realm of death and uh, Jesus responds in verse 36 do not fear only believe so these were people from the leader's house so the leader was apparently at this event so it could also be that they there's they're seeing their leader start to show interest in who this Jesus is and the, okay we need to shut the shut shop. it down we're, we're synagogue officials we need to keep him in line so it might have even been partly that yeah that's Maybe. possible and I think they're gonna mock Jesus in a couple of verses here in just a little bit later <clears throat> but um, but I think the reason why Jairus is present watching this is because now he's going to have an opportunity, right? Jairus just saw a woman touch Jesus and get called out and be healed. And now he's being told, your daughter's dead. There's nothing more this man can do for you. And Jesus exhorts him, just have faith, right? Don't, don't be afraid. Believe in me. You just saw what I can do. My power does not stop there. You so look like you were going to say something. The, that word is actually translated master 47 times and teacher 10 times. So it is. Oh, interesting. I should have looked that up. I was just going to say, I, I don't want to forget, I don't believe this, but I, I, I've heard from just listening to some sermons regarding this that some people believe that it, it, she wasn't actually dead. She was in a coma. She was, they, they all thought she was dead, and Jesus is just correcting them. And now he did go, you know, I know it takes away from the whole point, but I think that there's that part out there. I don't. Yeah. You know, where she's not, she's not dead. She's sleeping. Mostly dead. She's <laughs> Well, it's, uh, I mean, that's possible. I don't think that that's true. But Jesus does say she's not dead. Right, I know. I'm just, I'm so, uh, but I, I think she is dead. But even if she's in a coma, like, doctors try hard to get people out of comas. And Jesus is like, get up, right? right? So, are you a numbers guy? Any, any comparison to the 12s? To the 12? 12 years of blood flow, 12 year old girl. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Do, are you aware of somebody no, making some I, kind of. I'm like, always interested in hearing those things. I don't put a lot of weight on it. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of like we don't believe anything is a coincidence, right? Because yeah. we, we believe in a sovereign God. But So it is kind of interesting that. 12 years ago this girl was born 12 years ago this woman's issue began and then both of those things intersect in this moment that is interesting um, but if you you know if you count every 12th word in this passage I'm kidding okay so uh, end of verse 36 it's too bad that the disciples didn't remember Jesus saying this when they were looking at him on the cross right do not fear, only believe. And uh, that would be a good thing for us to remember. Do not fear, only believe. Right? Don't fear that people like this are taking over the culture. Only <laughs> oh, believe. That's a pretty scary look right there. <laughs> Ruth, man, I mean, nightmares over my back. I know. <laughs> I know. But we don't need to fear. And, you know, most of those people have already met their maker. Yeah. We don't need to fear that, I don't know, China is up and coming in the world and Russia has nukes and the supply chain is fragile and COVID might come back. We just, we don't need to fear, right? We just need to believe. Now that doesn't mean that we don't do anything. I'm not suggesting that. I'm, I'm just saying uh, we live, well, I, don't, I guess I can't compare this, but I think it's probably fair to say that we live in the most anxious ridden society in the history of the world. And the reason why I would make that bold statement is because at no point in history could you hear all of the crap that was going on everywhere in the world. And now it's like your phone's blinging every 10 seconds. This bad thing is happening, right? Mm -hmm. There are weapons of political parties to keep us in fear. Exactly. I, I, since I can remember it, it North Korea is going to blow us up and they come and go. I mean, it's always... Some, some war, yep. there's a war, 
Yep. And it's political science. Totally. And, and when you are afraid, you will easily give yourself to anything that promises to take its fear, to take that fear away, right? And, and so we just need to remember the words of Jesus. Don't fear. Just believe. And, and to your point about, you know, it doesn't mean we don't do anything. Yeah. Um, even, even the little things we do affect something somewhere. You know, even if it doesn't affect the whole, it affects pieces of the whole. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not suggesting that, that, that doing things, you know, that we should only believe and just like sit around on our couch and do nothing. But let's go back to this word like belief, confidence, right? Place your confidence for your life in the one who is powerful. <clears throat> we'll have to stop there. Whoa, we'll have to stop there. Let me pray. God, I do ask that you would give us confidence in you, that we would place our trust and our belief and our faith in you, not as this vague, you know, spirituality thing that we just believe, but that we would truly in confidence follow you and give our lives to you and really uh, trust the things that you have said. Um, and we thank you that we don't need to be afraid because... You are the God who created all things and has power over death and sacrificed your own life to show us your love and mercy. And so our faith is in uh, the best thing that it could be in, the one who loves us and the one who is powerful. Teach us these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.